Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. The moment has finally arrived. Do your thing, brother. All right. This is a Swapcast. Swapcast, for those who aren't in the know, is where two podcasters get together, I guess have a conversation that takes in both of their interests, and then they both put it on their show, and we introduce each other to each other's audiences, and it's all lovely. So we've got Gordon Rochford from Those Conspiracy Guys. How are you doing today, mate? All right, man. What's crack? I've been, uh, I was telling you earlier that uh, I'm an English teacher. I'm in the death throes of my English teaching career. And uh, a few years ago, I started teaching advanced classes. And uh, I was so shit scared of teaching advanced. You know, these are people who've got very good, good English already. And I would sometimes prepare for like two or three hours. And when I got in the fucking classroom, I had nothing left. I was completely Just burned out. Burned out, yeah. Uh, they were all yeah. talking about past participles and all this stuff. You were like, yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I've just been preparing for this, and I contacted you ages ago. Yes, sir. And uh, it's weird when the moment finally comes. And I've just been, I guess you have as well, just like swamped in uh, this information. But the other thing is that you're a podcasting veteran. How many squillions of hours have you recorded? Have you got any idea? I think overall, between all of the the regular shows, like the main episodes, the true crimes, the live chats, which can go mm. three, four, five, six hours sometimes, where I open up the floor to the audience and they jump on and we all talk like in a big chat room, I think over 700 hours. Wow. Yeah, We're pretty good. Since September 2014. Yes, yeah, so I watched that nearly six years, five and a half years. I think 112 official episodes. And if you count just the main episodes as official, we haven't even hit 100 episodes yet. That's how many. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of the shows there. Yeah, That's crazy. And, wow, awesome. Um, Should we just introduce each other's podcast to our audiences? Yes, sir. Uh, just... So, so mine is uh, Glass Onion on John Lennon. Now, um, I'm a big fan of the Beatles and particularly John Lennon for well, 30 odd years. And I was kind of procrastinating about it. I was a bit of a technophobe until I actually started using technology and realized how easy it is. And uh, I started about a year ago. I'm just kind of trying to do, you know, what they call in America, a deep dive. Because there's loads of good Beatles shows. But as far as I know, when I used to go on iTunes and looked up John Lennon, there didn't seem to be any... Specialist John Lennon show, so I was thinking, oh, there's a gap for you, mate. Get in there. Yeah, a niche. So is, I uh, did paramount in, in podcasting, you know. Absolutely, yeah. So um, I just started contacting lots of sort of Beatley people. I'm I'm now well in the family. You know, you get on Facebook with some Beatles people, and then other people see you have mutual friends, and uh, it's a weird world, you know, we're living in where you can get access to people. If I can just give you one example, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Dan Richter. No, go on. He was um, John Lennon and Yoko. He lived with them for two years in the early 70s. But then I found out, I, I kind of knew this name in the back of my mind. 
And uh, one of my favorite films ever is 2001 A Space Odyssey. He was the fucking monkey, the ape, who throws the bone in the air. You know, the famous scene right. where the bone turns yeah. into a spacecraft. I'm like, hang on, is that the same guy? So he's been in my favorite film and he lived with John and Yoko. All right, let's get on to him. So I found him on Facebook, started chatting with him, and then two minutes later he's agreed to be on the show. So it's it's a mad world we're living in. Yeah, I think with the you know? without, without wanting to immediately offend your audience, the Beatles crowd are, there's something special. I mean, they're very devoted. And, you know, if you have a show or you have a an episode on a show that is about their favourite topic, yeah, you'll mm. get listeners. But if you don't, if you go against what is said to be the truth, you know, like if you get one thing wrong, like one date or one fucking name mispronounced or like you're trying to yeah. like frantically remember something in a, in a six hour episode and you say you say a date like a day of the week wrong or something like that and they're like no 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 you got that wrong now so everything you've ever said is under suspicion mm. so there's a lot of accepted truths that if you stray from them you're then ostracized or sent to a Beatles Coventry as it were and that's totally yeah. understandable as like even in the truth community, the conspiracy community, totally hmm. understandable. But they are a bit particular, if you don't mind me saying. If any of my listeners are offended by Mr. Rochford's comments, please keep listening. Yeah, <laughs> well, your mind. Come, come over to my Twitter and <laughs> give me shit. You wouldn't be the first. It's funny, I had an experience of that. I was listening to, there's a podcast called Psychology in Seattle that I really like. And I'm actually going to have the guy on at some point oh, cool. to talk about like John Lennon's psychology. And he did an episode about that. And he was talking about John Lennon. And halfway through, he goes, I bet there's Beatles fans thinking, oh, he's got that wrong. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it goes through your mind, like as an expert on something, like you say, like, oh, he's got that wrong. But then you check yourself and say, well, who gives a fuck? You know, he's a psychology professional. He's not a Beatles professional. Exactly. So exactly. I know what you're saying, yeah. I think yeah. Uh, the discussion and the depth of research and the, the various different areas, like if you're listening to anything, it's a rule of thumb and you feel challenged like somebody is saying something that you're an expert on and they're saying well i've got information that differs from that they got it from somewhere i think you should be paying attention to why you're triggered if you're triggered or where they're getting that information if it's different to what your information is and you perceive yourself to be an expert in it what why are they getting different information maybe you're getting your information from people who only agree with you it's this kind of thing you know and the beatles stuff is yeah. quite contentious there's a lot of you know, like Paul is dead and we'll talk about some stuff later on, I guess, with like CIA and government involvement and mm. Mark David Chapman and all these kind of contentious topics around talking yeah. about Lenin. Yeah. And one thing actually that I was going to mention later, but I might as well say it now, is that in this sort of Beatles community, and they're generally really lovely people, by the way. You know, oh, no, very, absolutely. Very nice. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. There's always one, you know, there's always a few who put the turd in the punch bowl, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people don't want to mention the name Mark David Chapman. And I get some lovely messages from people, I'm sure you do too, who on the podcast. And it's really heartwarming when, you know, you might put something that's quite contentious, but you get a message saying, oh, I'm really glad you did that. So there okay. might be people who don't want to hear that name. But at the end of the day, my argument is that he is a product of our society and he didn't come out of the womb a killer. And nobody in his family was a killer. So without wanting to blame society... It's pointless to pretend the guy doesn't exist. So, you know, do if you don't want to hear him, that's fine. But, I do understand you know. the kind of the psychology or the strategy behind not mentioning his name, which is not mm. giving him 
publicity, which is what they do now to all these school shooters and this kind of stuff where it's like yeah. the notoriety, the triple barreled name, you know, the famous assassin that, you know, I can understand that. Probably not a great first impression for your audience, me coming out and going, yeah, all the Beatles fans are cunts. <laughs> they don't, if they don't, <laughs> if they don't like what I say, no, it's not that. I'm just saying that uh, it, it's a great community. I get dozens of really nice messages, but the nasty mm. messages would be definitely about details around things that people are experts on. You know, like you get your 9-11s and you get your Madeleine McCann's and you get these people who are absolutely fanatical about a certain topic mm. and they want to hear other people talking about it. But if they're not at that level, it seems to be fake news or false information like it's a it's a logical fallacy like one small fact incorrect means that everything that person says is baseless and useless and i think mm. because there's such a high level multi-generational massive population super high level uh, fanaticism around the beatles and around the personalities associated with the beatles the political and cultural machinations all of these huge cultural touchstones that the beatles embody because the fandom is so deep and so well documented it's really easy to get stuff wrong. And if you're listening to this show as a John Lennon fan and something comes out wrong, try and forget about that and try and listen to the things that come out right that you may not have heard of before. That's the best introduction Sorry, to my show that I, that, I, that I can give. It's like, you know, it's called Those Conspiracy Guys and we sit and we discuss and we dissect and the whole, the remit of the show is basically to take what's out on the internet, read everything and try and filter what we think is bullshit from what could be real and mm. when we started the show like in 2014 like I, I, I was doing research online and some of the stuff that I found was immediately questionable but was countered by some other stuff from the other point of view almost unilaterally across all topics now it's much much more difficult to find counterpoints to these topics because the internet is being very heavily controlled over the last couple of years you know so even yeah. like the research that we did into John Lennon and Mark David Chapman and Yoko Ono and the CIA involvement and Jose Perdomo and all of mm. these people like Operation Grief and the Cuban Revolution and all this kind of stuff. Like all of that is much more difficult to find now. Independent mm. researchers and all this kind of stuff. So those conspiracy guys dives deep and we discuss at length, like draw out all these topics, try and look at them from loads of different angles, using loads of different theories. And mm. like conspiracy theory is a, a huge like tapestry do you know that thing where you have like loads of um, red string from pictures to pictures across the wall and all that stuff? Like that's yeah, yeah. that that's like a, a cliche for a reason because everything is connected. Like all of this shit is connected, and things that we yeah. talked about, like in our podcast, like MK Ultra mind control programming, which is a totally real thing, documented thing the CIA did, Operation Grief, and you know Operation Paperclip, and all of these type of control and propaganda tools that were put upon the American people, like the Vietnam War and all this kind of stuff. Like, that's all real shit, but looked at from a different perspective can help you understand somebody like John Lennon much more, can answer a lot of questions that you're like, I don't know why that is a thing. And you can explain yeah. it with like, oh, it's depression, or oh, it's, you know, resting after a massive famous thing. But in reality, there's something else behind it. And those conspiracy guys kind of strives to to scratch the surface also to dig deep and also to come up from the backside and then from the other side and then enter the belly button and, you know, yeah. tracheotomy. Come from every angle at the yeah. motherfucker and try and figure out using books, internet, all available sources available at the time. Like there's loads of episodes we've done mm. in the past that could be gone back over, including mm. our John Lennon episode, including our Paul McCartney episode. Yeah. 
But sure, look, you can only do what you can do at the time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Can I tell you about my kind of journey with your podcast? I think I found it originally when I was searching on David Icke because I used to I used to like listening to David Icke interviews, but I've kind of noticed that they almost always go the same way now. He'll yeah. say, I've been doing this for 25 years, and then he'll say, oh, people are gradually waking up. There's been a big shift. And if you kind of look at it, he's kind of saying that. Anyway, whatever. But it was about, yeah, maybe four years ago. And I thought um, I was like a battle-hardened, you know, I've listened to Joe Rogan podcasts of two hours, two and a half hours. I'm battle-hardened podcast listener. And then I saw, okay, this video is, how long was that? Five and a half Five hours, and a half, maybe? Something like that, David yeah. Close enough. I was like, all right. So I listened to a bit of it. And just being honest with you, I made a rash judgment. Because you kind of, um, I think all the guys you have on you are more or less, they're friends of yours, right? Friends and acquaintances, and Friends of acquaintances, and there's always like great banter. So occasionally you'll go off for uh, five or so minutes on, uh, you know, talking about something. So I was kind of like, Wanking and then you were kind whatever. of, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or there's a technical so. word for it now, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you were kind of taking the piss up, David Ike. And I kind of thought, oh, they're taking the piss up conspiracy theories. And I'll be honest, I made a rash judgment. Sorry, what did yeah. you think of the start of it? Because we were just like joking around about lizard people and shit, like, and you bailed. <laughs> Yeah, I bailed, but the point of that story was not against your podcast. It was actually to say that we often make rash judgments. Yeah. I'm going to talk today about mainstream versus alternative, and I know that that's got very skewed because there's sort of mainstream-friendly alternatives and alternative ideas creeping into the mainstream. But basically, like mainstream TV, let's say, for example, very much encourages you to make rash judgments. So that was actually the reason I um, mentioned that. Yeah. It wasn't against your show. No, no. What I'm um, saying is it's a, it's a weird feedback. Like, um, did you listen to the rest of it mm. afterwards? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And yeah. what was the conclusion yeah. about David? Like, like I, I brought the respect back, right? Well, one of the things about him I've noticed is that, um, I say, when I used to follow him, he'd often say stuff like, um, oh, I think 2016 is going to be the big year when something happens, da, da, da. Then he said 2018. Yeah. And I think you discussed the fact that he must have a, decent amount of income happening here yeah and it's not so much attack on his character but it's to kind of say that your only motive is just to spread the truth what do you think about him can i ask you well i said that in, in the podcast and i also mm. said it to him to his face during an interview because i did an interview with him and i was like trying to get him out of those you said like when you've watched ever interviews with david like that he is asked a question he answers the first five percent of it pertaining to the actual question and then drops off into some kind of uh i guess like a scripted like regular yeah pieces, kind of a spiel like yeah a spiel and he goes off into this thing and it's like well you know w w the powers that be and you know and he's he goes into this thing and i'm like yeah 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 cool but come here the thing that i asked you and i stopped him like maybe i think eight or nine times during the interview and went yeah yeah yeah, i've heard that before and other stuff i just want to go back to that thing and i was pressing him and pressing him and pressing him mm. to go like answer mm. the thing i asked you because, like, they're the things that I haven't ever heard on any episode that he's ever done, any interview that he's ever done, I haven't heard those answers, you know. In the interview, he goes, I'm immune to ridicule, you know, and have been since Terry Wogan. And people want to make fun of me, go ahead, but I know what I'm talking about. And, like, the first few minutes having a bit of fucking gatching about, like, lizard people and a bit of crack. But mm. the overarching remarks about him were very respectful and very positive. Like, he's doing a lot of work, he's done a lot of research, I was a bit doubtful that he wrote five books in two years that were such yeah. seminal works. Like, But the whole point of his success is that he claims he was like divinely inspired to write those books in that short amount of time. And I was like, um, 
I doubt that, but like, let us in on the skin. I know you're not going to blow your cover on my show, but like, it's pretty hard to do. Like, how long were you preparing? Is this a whole thing where he prepared for like five years to go, okay, you know, in, in 1990, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to Peru and I had an epiphany and then blah, and he puts out these, you know, five books in two years that he'd been working for a few years on or whatever. Hmm. Like, those are natural inquiries into his efficacy or his his honesty, not his honesty, but his integrity. Because he's being honest, but like his integrity as like a, a researcher, like the stuff he does is brilliant. Just say that took you a bit longer. Nobody cares, you know, but it's kind of like this mythos he's creating around himself. It's very weird. And I asked him all those questions straight up and he was like, eh, what do you want me to say? But it's just yeah. weird that you were like in the first few minutes you listened to it and you bailed out. I guarantee you hundreds, if not thousands of David Icke fans went to listen to it, heard mm. about this first 20 minutes of like, oh, lizards, mm. well, and then didn't listen to the five other hours of me going like, but actually yeah. all the stuff he's talking about, it's all based in like, you know, history. It's all based in ancient lore and the archons and all the, the Gnostic gospels and all this kind of stuff. Like he, his information is solid. How he presents it is very respectable. He does like 12 hour fucking sound PowerPoint presentations. In yeah, stadiums. I went to one of them actually at Brixton. Yeah. Bananas, right? I mean, it, it, the, the time just flew by. I mean, I couldn't, it's hard to kind of think, how can I fact check all that? You know, but the day actually flew. I mean, he's a great speaker, but exactly. actually, I actually really like his old ones. There's one called the turning of the tide. And it was actually, it's pre like lizards and it's pre PowerPoint. It's, he just talked for two hours and he talked about these think tanks and the fact that they include Democrats and Republicans, you know, what to us is might be considered like a really basic idea, but, but back that then, was like in the 90s. 94 yeah. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Children, yeah. Children of the Matrix, I think it was 99. And that was the first mention of like lizards and lizard people. Yeah. So like that's, I know I could be wrong. David Icke fans are like, Hey, but that, that <laughs> top of my head, that that's as far as I remember. And then what's the one with the lion, uh, wake up, uh, wake up world, something like that. Yeah, There's a lion and the earth is behind him. That was like 2000 or 2001. So like, I was just saying like some of the books that he writes, Children in the Matrix came out just after the Matrix movie. Oh, right. You know, so it's like, he's very good at marketing as well, you know, Mm. but these are legitimate criticisms, just like I was legitimately criticizing some of John Lennon's decisions and he had John Lennon fans getting at me, Mm. you know, David Icke fans were fucking living in my arse going like, hey, you can't be saying that. No, I mean, and just to clarify, I wasn't shit. offended in no, no. the least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually thought that you would, were going to be making fun of conspiracy theories. And that's what I'm saying. I made a rash judgment. And my... But a lot of people do. I don't know. I'm sure, sure you're the same. Like, a, I'm in a constant evolution to kind of dissolve my ego and try and be more mature about things. And yeah. that was part of my journey, even though I was nearly 40. You know, I'm, <laughs> I think it should you be know, part think, of all of our journeys. Aren't <laughs> yeah. I know that like, I have to be very aware that every episode that anyone drops in, mm. it could be the first time being introduced and they're coming in because they're a fan of the title and they find it through the search engine and then they listen and go, you're fucking making fun of this guy or whatever, you know? I'm trying to be as honest as possible. If I was talking to David Icke himself, which I was, which is like, <laughs> I just picked that particularly because like I actually got to talk to the fella and, and said some shit to him, to his face that I was saying on the show as well. So it's just to show like that it's not um, idle chat on the podcast. It's, it's, no, no. We, we say what we think and we mean what we say or whatever. You know? As I'm saying, I'm admitting to you, I've been there myself. I've done that myself. Yeah. So, uh, so but I feel like is. I learned from it. You so know? have I, Absolutely. You got to give stuff a chance, especially now when the fucking media is being mass produced. There's so many podcasts out there now. There's over 800,000. So like 
that's a fucking lot of shows. Like, how many John, how many Beatles podcasts are there? How many podcasts about Game of Thrones? How many podcasts about like TV and movies? There's only so many yeah. that you can. Say. How many conspiracy shows are out there? Since, like, we started in 2014. There's been a conspiracy explosion because like people are mm. becoming so distrustful of of mainstream media. Joe Rogan was the original conspiracy podcast. Like, he had lads like Duncan Trussell and Eddie Bravo on there talking about fucking interdimensional space pedophiles and shit like that. Like Alex Jones, man, he is, he was the king of conspiracies, had a podcast, had a YouTube channel. And there's so much choice now. It's very difficult, I presume, for a member of the public to dive in and devote their heart and soul into something that they don't know if it will continue or not. They don't know if it will go down in quality. They don't know if mm. somebody will come along with a big check and after a year when the check has been cashed, they'll find that the content starts to become a little bit more complimentary to the status quo you know that they're not as edgy that they're not yeah. as crazy and fucking conspiratorial as they used to be there's so much stuff being made that it's very easy mm. to abandon something and listen to it for two minutes and then go nah it's not tickling my gigger right now there's other stuff i yeah. can waste my time with bye but it's also like that attention span thing like you have to fucking grab somebody's attention you have to dive right in and catch someone straight away and it's a real problem mm. if you're making stuff that's brilliant, but you haven't got the facilities to make it really, really well. But I think the gap is closing from like really high quality TV into like what people are making on YouTube. That people are a lot more forgiving about the quality of how it looks versus the content. Yeah. I think it might be one of the longest ones. How long was your propaganda episode? I think seven plus. Roughly. Hours. Yeah. Seven plus. We went back into I used like to... everything, everything, everything to do with propaganda, everything to like at the mm. time. We released it like maybe the week of Trump's inauguration in early 2017. Right. So like I had entrenched myself in what was then called fake news. Like uh, we were looking yeah. at like Pizzagate conspiracies and, you know, like Hillary losing out and all the aftermath of that and the Russian collusion and all this stuff was starting to be talked about. And I was like, oh, it's time for a refresher on what propaganda is, boys. Um, yeah, so yeah. dove deep like talked about like Edward Bernays and talked about all this kind of stuff. I felt at the time it was probably the best timed most heavily mm. researched like clinically researched i was in college at the time so i was using loads of um i had just got access to loads of like you know scientific papers and all this stuff through my college logins and yeah that was probably one of my best yeah no it was great and the thing that stuck out because i listened to it again recently actually last year i think uh was the idea of uh, the human mind is like a programmable computer yeah and i've been trying to tell people this for years that, you know, appetizers and everything, they get into our brain so they actually know more about us than we do. Like, yeah. we know more about behavior than we do. And now we're fucking uh, feeding gonna... that machine. Mm. Say again, sorry? <laughs> now we're feeding that machine. Before, like, the advertisers yeah. had to do it by going, like, let's test and see what happens, and let's test and see what happens. Now they don't even have to test, they just know what works with yeah, music. Yeah. It's all four chords. With films, it's all, you know, like you know, blocked off acts and certain like, emotional triggers and, you know, rising music to mm. make you feel and all this kind of stuff. They know the fucking formula for success. And most people yeah. are just accepting it as the norm. And then we're pumping all our information into Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all. They know yeah. the crack now. It's so much easier to propagandize people. Yeah. Well, one of the other things is that um, there's an author called Robert Greene. I think his most famous book is The 48 Laws of Power. Yeah. And I've read all of his books and they're all like tomes and um, 
he did one about human nature two years ago. One of the things about human nature is that people don't like to admit they've been fooled as well, or they don't want to believe they've been fooled. So it works perfectly because you fool them and then they, they don't want to believe they've been fooled. So they fool themselves into thinking they haven't been fooled. Yeah, the, it's the, the false yeah. choice. Like they, they're like, I chose this. Yeah. I, don't, I didn't. I exactly. Which reinforces uh, the fallacy. Yeah, I mean, it's the mind tricking itself you know mm, yeah to protect the ego as well but uh now what i loved about your propaganda episode i think i've got this right you were like right at the end when you were doing off the fence and did you say something like oh i've only actually got a few a fraction of our notes or something yeah <laughs> something like that you did seven hours of like and i i find the same i'm like i'm like oh how long am i going to keep the show going and then i'm like we do like two hours it's like i've used like half a page and i've got another four pages the discussions but, go deep uh, man like a lot of that stuff was you know subjective or anecdotal but it's all mm-hmm. on, on topic i think i did yeah. like twenty thousand words of notes for that episode do you know like that's wow, a, te- that's awesome. a thesis like you know yeah um, the awesome. history the history of propaganda it's psychological effects do you think uh, the mainstream and alternative, those two terms have got so kind of uh, mixed up? What's the word where two things start to meld? They're less distinct than they used to be. Oh, absolutely. We say in the conspiracy world, like, those guys have money and we have the ideas. And the people who love money yeah. and make money and use money and are great with money are yeah. usually shit at ideas. And the people who have ideas and are creative and are, you know, super resourceful and make all this great stuff are you know, usually quite shit at like banking investments and 401ks and those people who traditionally were in the suits with the cigars at the back of the room going, I really like that band. We're going to sign him to the record. Hey, you got a record deal. And it's usually like four drug adult spastics who are just like (laughs) magically brilliant in their garage. And then someone comes along and says like, that's a really good song. And then you end up with someone like, you know, fucking Stone Roses or Libertines or something like that. And they milk them until they're dry and then they move on to the next thing. And people put a lot of time and effort into being in love with that music. And then suddenly the mainstream trying to reach into the alternative to capitalize on it ends up somewhat ruining it. Puts this kind of weird mainstream mold on something that was underground, but it would have never seen the light of day unless that happened. So it's like a, you know, a blessing in disguise or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's get on to John Lennon, shall we? Yeah, it's turning into a, an episode of those conspiracy guys or just an hour of... It is. Well, that's all right. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, man. We will get on to, like, the whole assassination bit, but just very quickly, how much of a John Lennon fan are you? And I mean... Is there any anything that draws you to him particularly? When I was young, as you do, or as you should, uh, I listened to a lot of Beatles stuff. You learn all the, all the songs on guitar, and you start with the easy ones, and then you get more and more experimental mm-hmm. as your technique gets more and more. I don't know if there's any musicians out there. But like playing like, you know, Norwegian Wood mm. or Blackbird and all, that's like, yeah, that's way better than strumming like an L3 card trick. And then you're trying to like get a <laughs> a guitar pedal that models like a sitar so you can play some songs like and you're like, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah. But um, yeah, I was a fan of the Beatles, I was a fan of their music. I was a fan of a lot of the, fan of the fans. So I was a big Oasis fan and stuff at the time, like a lot of the sounds of the Beatles. That was our, mm. our gospel or whatever, like everyone knew a Beatles song and. Everyone knows the words, yeah. you sing along. And then later on, I found out about like their personalities and the people, behind, how much of a cultural influence they have. I was like, holy shit, you know. You know, yeah. you find out about Sgt. Peppers and you find out about how they made Revolver and then you find out about the Let It Be album and they're breaking up. And, and then you're finding out like, yeah. oh shit, you know, like Sgt. Peppers is huge. Like there's a cultural touchstone. And then you find other songs like other music, like the Beach Boys. And you're like, oh my God, 
to have a rivalry with the Beach Boys and Brian Wilson's, you know, putting on 400 pounds and becoming a drug addict because like the Beatles mm. were so good he couldn't compete or like Beatles versus the Rolling Stones or, you know, the Mods and Rockers and Beatles and Elvis, mm. like that kind of rivalry and how culturally significant they were. And you're like, I wondered why I like that music so much. Yeah, it's really important. Mm. Later on then, when I, of course, when you're smoking weed, you're like, you're looking for your weed heroes, you're looking for your Bob Marleys, you're looking for your Jim Morrisons. And you're looking mm. to your John Lennon's, who was like very political, unbeknownst to me, like in my Beatles fandom, I didn't know how politically effective he was, how culturally influential he was. And then you're always asked, like, who's your favourite Beatle? Like, is it Paul or is it John or is it George? And nobody asks about Ringo, really. Um, and the, the hardcore Thomas the Tank Engine heads. Maybe like, drummers do. Yeah, yeah, Thomas the Tank Engine fans or drummers. So, yeah, you're always asked who's your favourite. And mine was John because he was a fucking rebel. Like, it seems that Paul's very mainstream. And I think the reason they broke up, people that blame the women. They blame Linda and they blame Yoko. I think it was because John and especially John, but John and George wanted to take it in more experimental directions and Paul wanted to keep churning it out. Like, why fuck with the formula? Let's make commercially pleasing music. And the lads were like, uh, we've done that for years. I have other things to be doing. And when you think about like the scale of how successful they were in such a short time, like mm. literally from yeah. like, we're sweating in a German underground bunker in leather playing covers to we are the biggest recording artists that the world has ever seen in history that was less than eight years like that's fucking phenomenal they were like before they were 30 they were that successful like that's crazy so for them to go like this is not sustainable like i can't keep going that's why i think maybe one of the reasons they broke up but i think john was probably my favorite because of his activism his uniqueness and his outspoken nature he was able to call shit out he was pointing towards the government going like fuck yous like legalize marijuana why are you putting lads in jail for that shit and me being a habitual marijuana smoker i was like <laughs> yeah i don't want to be afraid carrying this around anymore go on john Lennon. that was kind of weird. it was a sort of weird weird mixture of like naive and sort of worldly as well there's a lot well. of that political stuff i don't really not sure he really researched it that deeply like I don't think so. I think Mm. he was like any kind of young hippie now. And by the time he got to that point in his late 20s where he was able to have some kind of cultural influence, he was Mm. very much in a bubble. He was very much like surrounded by sycophants and people who were telling him what to be and telling him how to be. And that's why he wanted to get away from it and go off and learn himself and go and see the world and meet people and hang around with art heads and all with Yoko. But then you're in that fucking hip, like he was the original hipster, like you're in that hipster moment where their politics, their points of view, their tastes, everything is so homogenized and segregated from regular society in the regular world. Like he absolutely couldn't live a regular life. So he was trying to have an effect. He thought, maybe through hubris, maybe through naivety, that he could have an effect on the world by stopping a war. He was also quite quite worldly at the same time. I found out quite recently he was reading like Brave New World and... yeah. 1984 and he he definitely knew about that alternative thing so did stanley kubrick like i'm a big fan of his yeah and i find a lot of time people that i didn't know that much about i'm drawn to them and then i find out later that they were kind of almost truthers before it even existed yeah but you can see how a lot of like arty people john lennon was very much in the early part of that kind of thing like hanging out with harry nilsson or like andy warhol and all Mm. of these jim morrison was the same like they're so famous they couldn't be normal so they end up like taking on these causes and it's really not naive, but it's really like uneducated about normal life. Like they'd never had a normal life because they were famous since they were in their early 20s. So they've never really had that experience. And then they go off and they're like, well, I have influence. So I'm going to do this. Is like, is that the best thing to do? 
what happens if John Lennon was like anti-marijuana? Would he have been as popular with the counterculture? If he was like, let's free the weed, but like abortion is evil, <laughs> do you know, would he be as supported? Definitely mm. not. Yeah, I mean, obviously he got involved in, in causes that were in mainstream life that everybody knew about. But maybe there's also this sense that maybe you kind of wake up, to, to use a to use a phrase, maybe wake up a bit earlier than other people, perhaps. Ah, yeah. You kind of realise how much life is propaganda. Sure, he was looking at it I from the like, inside out. He was on the mm-hmm. inside. He was watching people doing shady deals. And from, from our episode and from the research I did before, like, I think he was definitely diddled. Like, he was definitely sexually taken advantage of. Oh, do you? Yeah, definitely. As a young, young lad. He was the youngest of the Beatles to be signed on. George was the oldest, as far as I know. This is where your Beatles fans are like, everything he says is wrong. <laughs> no. Um, no. It's the opposite. George is the youngest. Is George the youngest? Yeah. Okay, okay. He was inducted into that kind of world very, very young. Yeah. They were still very young. And uh, management mm. came in and people came in and I, I think he struggled with his sexuality a lot, coming mm. out or being bisexual as he was probably his last weekend yeah. and stuff like that, going off with the boys and doing all that stuff. Probably, you know, let him be a, a bit more of himself. Mm. There are loads of stories of people saying, yeah, I've, I was in sexual encounters with John Lennon. And, and I think like there was people mm. above him in the record business that were maybe like, well, how much do you want this album to be promoted? Zip. Yeah, I think there was definitely an element of that. Maybe that's absolutely abhorrent to your listeners to hear. But Did you find any stuff out about that? Uh, yeah, was I did it? at the time, yeah. Probably have to go digging for links, but like, it seems like something that he, that he struggled with. I think nowadays celebrities are really candid about themselves because it's kind of hip and cool to do that. I think he was candid because he actually wanted to get a lot of it out. Yeah. And there is stuff like a few times he had said, like, you know, he wouldn't let Yoko touch him and, and stuff like that. Yeah. But, you know, remember, he's he's a guy on TV talking on a level of honesty. You could call it indulgence, you can call it honesty, either one, but a level of honesty that, that really went beyond, you know. Anybody. His, yeah. He was, he was yeah. beyond anybody. And I think... Watching him do those Dick Cavett interviews, like, it's amazing. We but, talked about that, didn't we, the other yeah, day? Yeah. How those shows just wouldn't... It's not they were massively controversial, but they were just very candid and... Real. There's all those Dick Cavett shows on YouTube, yeah. It's, in the late 60s and early 70s, he, he just had people on the show, all the people that I find the most interesting, like Marlon Brando, Muhammad Ali, John Lennon, George Harrison, Janis Joplin, Jimmy, you know. Yeah. Amazing. But that couldn't be done today. Today, all that kind of stuff is infotainment. It's advertorial. It's like, what have you got mm. to promote? Come on here and we'll talk about something contemporary and then you'll talk about your book slash single slash movie and then, yeah, you know, yeah. we'll do some weird skit and then we'll promote your film and, and you know, you can fuck off. <laughs> Back then it was like, I actually yeah. want to find out who these people are. And that was, again, before the wash of peak entertainment because, like, those interviews can't afford to be slow or be real or, as Dick Cavett used to, like, let, let the interview hang because mm. people just switch off. They're like, ugh, cringe, flick, and and there's five other late-night talk shows to watch. So they can't afford to do that because there's too much stuff. It wasn't you know. slick. The one I talked to you about the other day was Brando. Yeah. I mean, that's just amazing, because Dick Cavett's really nervous, and Brando's really... He'd been on a plane for hours or something. He was really jet-lagged. Cranky. And they just, just have these brilliant, like... Uh, pauses yeah. of just these uncomfortable pauses but they're kind of not uncomfortable because he's letting them happen it's almost like if he was really slick he'd be more uncomfortable because it's like why is there a pause let the guest live in the silence 
he didn't want to yeah. fill it up with shite. So he just like stop exactly. and let the person think. And a lot of people would fill the gap then and go, well, actually, exactly. and then continue on another story. And it'll be something that they never would say. And that's like a real interviewer's talent, like is to let it, let it sit, you know? And you're right. A, a good interview and what we, we might call a good interview of getting decent information but a good interview in inverted commas at those days, like Carson or something, you had Park, the highest Parkinson's. rating. He wouldn't let that shit go. You know, he would cover it. Yeah, of course. You know? of it's course. more slick, you know. Tell them all about it, those conspiracy guys. Yeah, yeah. I, think, um, I think John Lennon knew how to, like from a very early stage, knew how to work the business. But he was taken mm. under, as far as I understood from the things that I read, mm. there's no facts or figures to this, but, but it's my opinion based on the research that I did before, that John Lennon was taken under the wing of a lot of people who were behind the man behind the microphone. Do you know? Oh, I see, In the yeah. early days, like they were all told to wear um, matching suits. When John started putting on his glasses and all, it was like, oh my God, John Lennon wears glasses. Ah! Like it was a, a big deal. And John was like, I was told to take them off so that people could see my face because the producers were like, yeah, we want all the girls to be rubbing their beans when they're looking at you. Like, <laughs> so it was all this kind of stuff like obviously if you're in that and you're smart guys you're able to figure out what the industry wants and then when you're out in front of the people you find out what the people want and you hit it somewhere in between now it's a thing where people are making art for the people for themselves first and then if the people like it then for the people and then the industry yeah. is bending to their will because again there's so much stuff that the industry just has to go with what's popular like because the youngins like it and we need to get their attention and their dollar so let's just promote the things that they already like. Whereas back in the day, it was mm. like, we have to find the thing, make it kind of likable, throw it out in front of the people, see if they like, if they do more, 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 more. As soon as they stop liking it, you're gone. It's a different mm. paradigm, you know? And back then they were trying to manufacture pop. They were trying to manufacture the Beatles. And then as soon as they got a bit of autonomy, John was like, no, mm. I'm going to do it my way. And he became like, very rebellious towards the industry. You can even see it in interviews and stuff. Him and George would always come up with like jokey answers, like take the mm. piss answers and all. And it'd fuck interviewers off, like to be dudes, you know, from NBC and it, it, he'd make up a lie and they'd go like, really? And he's like, of course not. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you know, yeah, and by 66, he's talking about Vietnam as well, you know. Exactly. And people are like, this has never happened before. Like you're a musician, stick to fucking music. When we ask you, like, hey, what's your favourite breakfast cereal? You say the cereal that your manager has been paid by Kellogg's to say. You don't fucking have an opinion about nothing else, you know? Yeah, yeah. There is a bit of a misconception, though, that Paul is very good with PR and John wasn't. But oh, as yeah. I guess you were saying a minute ago, like, John was pretty slick with the advertising techniques. And the bedding was really interesting because he was using the establishment media, which is now called the mainstream media, yeah, to talk against the establishment he did that in a, an amazing multimedia way. They had a tour and he said, I'm not going on the tour. I'm going to stay in bed instead. He was like, I'm not going to make my public appearances. And then people are like, well, you've cancelled. You've annoyed people. And it's like, well, come and I'll give them an explanation as to why they should be or shouldn't be annoyed. This is why I'm doing it. And at the same time, put up a big billboard campaign. And a year later, then the ballad of John and Yoko comes out and it tells the story of that, which commercializes the story mm. into a song that people can listen to. Like it's, that's a multimedia marketing campaign. That, Where do you think he learned all that? He just came up with it, I suppose. There's a huge machine, multi-million dollar machine behind them. Like these mm. guys are not puppets. Like John Lennon was not a puppet at all. I think people make him out to be very naive. I think he knew exactly what the fuck he was doing. 
Yeah, I just mean he, he kind of had this almost charming, a bit of a childlike naivety. That's what I was saying. It's this funny, funny mixture, kind of streetwise and worldly. But then, again, like Brando had a bit of this, because I've read loads of books on Marlon Brando. It's a kind of worldliness, but maybe because there's some kind of childhood deprivation going on, they're almost quite easy to manipulate at the same time. It's the illusion of maybe you could change me. Maybe you could, I could be your best mate. If it's for fellas, like, you know, mm. you know, I'm John, I can be your best friend. Or like for the girls, mm. it's like, you could change me. You can make me cut my hair, get a job. But think about mm, how many times yeah. that's been repeated over the years. Fucking NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys, even Justin Bieber, like that rough, but like naive and doleful eyes. And, you know, just kind of like, oh my God, I'm so emotional, but I'm also like angry and rebellious, but I'm also like so open for love. <laughs> like it's a fucking <laughs> template that was made. And been repeated forever. Yeah. All right. Should we get on to the assassination? It's fucking Shall I just go through, <laughs> just yeah, go through the official version? Yes, but. sir. So, um, yeah, I read these couple of books on uh, Mark David Chapman. One of them's a sort of more straight bio. One of them's written by this guy called Fenton Bresler. It was originally called The Murder of John Lennon. And I think the more, um, the more recent editions are called Who Killed John Lennon? There's a sort of biography that everyone agrees on that, you know, Mark David Chapman was a Beatles fan for a while. And then a bit like John Lennon, he he tended to get very into things for about six months or a year. And then he'd sort of switch to something else. He'd be very enthusiastic about something and then get very disillusioned by it. So he was a Beatles fan. And then he was, uh, I think you said on your show, wasn't it? A garbage head. Basically a guy who took any drug. Yeah, they used to come to school, yeah. Yeah. So he got into LSD. So he had that kind of phase, and then uh, he got into Christianity, kind of dropped the drugs, started this sort of backlash against John Lennon. He went back to the bigger than Jesus thing. When Imagine came out, he said it was a communist anthem and started saying, imagine John Lennon was dead and stuff like that. Yeah, so the official version, kind of lone nutter, you know, where we heard that before, comes to New York and has the idea that by killing John Lennon, he's giving himself an identity. I think the thing about him doing it because he was famous, I think there's one quite major counter to that, which is that just before he was supposed to be on trial, which would have been the trial of the century, he decided to plead guilty. So he kind of denied himself, if you want to look at it like that, the the trial of the century. So I feel like this thing, he did it to become famous, is one possible narrative, which I guess we were talking the last time we spoke about, like, a simple narrative is the easiest one, you know? Yeah. But um, when you did your show, could you just give us a couple of examples of stuff you found that was maybe the most conspiracy angle? Um, um, Mark David Chapman is a fucking a lunatic as far as everything that I found out about him. But like hmm. a very suspicious character right down to like his origins, his fandom of the Beatles, hmm. his movement in the 10 years before the 1980 assassination. His actions at the time and his his subsequent incarceration and parole hearings every two years. Mark David Chapman was absolutely a garbage head, but I'm almost certain that he also was an agent of the state. Right. He grew up in Texas, lived in Georgia, was sent to uh, mental hospitals all up and down the country, ended up in, uh, he went to Beirut. So he's in fucking Beirut, man, in a, in a CIA black site, being trained in, maybe being brainwashed, maybe being MK Ultra, turned into a Manchurian candidate to be triggered by somebody who is an agent of the CIA. Then he's sent to Hawaii, mm. and he's in Hawaii in a military installation. 
And then he gets to go to New York and then he shoots John Lennon and then the news report him as a local nut job. Local screwball. Screwball, yeah. that's it. Ted that was picked up instantly. I was going to say about what that. What the yeah. fuck, man? Local screwball? He's from Texas, man. Yeah. And he lived everywhere yeah. in the 10 years beforehand. Like, I definitely think that he's an agent of the state in some way, that he's a programmed assassin, if there is such a thing. And that it wasn't mm. just like a case of like a fanatical dude who thought he was John Lennon. Like the story is so on the surface, like believable that Mark David Chapman mm. thought he was John Lennon, had the same haircut and glasses, wore the same clothes, married a Japanese woman, was a massive Beatles fan. Yeah. It just got fanatic, got all uh, Jodie Foster on it. It's an easy to believe crazy person story. Oh yeah, Mark David Chapman. Yeah. Fascinated with John Lennon and he thought if John Lennon's alive, then I can't really be. And also that he wanted to be famous as well, that he was writing poetry mm. and he was, you know, failed musician. And it was all of these kind of things that led mm. to, you know, oh, he just killed him out of jealousy. It's a good narrative. And it fits mm. into all of these like movie tropes, these book tropes, like these traditional story arcs of like an Oedipal assassination. Like if I can't have you, nobody will, do you know? And it's even like later on in, in comedy movies or even in like, other documentaries and stuff. It's like a comedy trope where there's there's always like a crazy fan who's like, oh my God, I love you so much. Take off your clothes. Like yeah. they'll kidnap the fucking rock star. Yeah. Like Chapman was the first of those publicly. And it's 1980. People don't really know yeah. what happened. A lot of the facts were kind of obfuscated in the news. And because the scale of the scandal of one of the most famous people in the world being killed outside his house, the details faded away. It was like as big of a deal as JFK getting shot. This is mm. John fucking Lennon. He was bigger than Jesus, do you know? The little details around Chapman and the Catcher in the Rye book, his whereabouts mm. and his movements before the assassination, his actions immediately after, where the doorman, mm. Jose Perdomo, came over and kind of calmed him down. And then he just sat on the sidewalk and then started to read from the Catcher yeah, in the Rye book and waited for the police to come. And then they found his notebooks and all of his writings. And he's like, and I'm going to kill, uh, who was it? David Bowie and a bunch yeah, of George other. C. Scott? Mia Farrow? Oh, Mia Farrow. It's various uh, lists, right? Yeah. He had a fucking list of people. He's like, I want to kill all these people. They're all phonies. And it's all, yeah. you know, based around this catcher in the rye, like holding coffee and like phonies and all this kind of stuff. Like very um, suspicious is the word that just comes to mind. His background is shady. Mm. And even now, he, he still won't give like full proper interviews about the motivations behind it or whatever. Like there's no one mm. really knows for real, for true, why it was done. And people just like to go, ah, oh, yeah, he was just crazy about John Lennon and something, something. And then he shot him. Yeah, convenient narrative. Yeah. Another thing about it was uh, you can watch all the news result, news reports after he was killed. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't get off on watching them, but I watch them because I'm interested in news reports of what actually happened. And how perhaps they, they change somewhat. With 9-11, they've got rid of some of the videos where they're talking about controlled demolitions, you know? Oh, absolutely. But, they're all gone. Like, a lot mm, of that stuff is scrubbed and you can't yeah. find nothing about John Lennon and Mark David Chapman either unless it's something they want you to see. <laughs> yeah, but when you said, like, local screwball, you're right. I mean, on YouTube, you can watch... There's reports that start on the radio where yeah. they say he's been shot and they didn't actually know he'd been killed. Yeah, that was... Because there, uh, there was an ABC reporter it, yeah. in the hospital... Yeah can't remember his name, but he overheard it, apparently. But yeah, when I listened to your show, I, I was kind of agreeing with you there, saying it's all very quick. Like, it's a narrative, you know, human nature. It's almost nature, like they knew it was going to happen that night and they were ready with mm. the obituary 
Do you know, like they're ready for the Queen's mm. death. They have all the shit on the BBC ready to go and all the black suits yeah. are ironed and dry cleaned and in the wardrobes of all the BBC newscasters ready to go. If it happens in the morning, like they're like, okay, Operation, yeah. I think it's called Operation London Bridge. Is that what it's called? Something like that. <laughs> Operation London that. Yeah. Bridge is in action. Elizabeth mm. is down. Let's go. Mm. Do you know? <laughs> and it's like seven yeah. days of everyone wearing black and doing all that. I'm sure they had it ready for John Lennon. And the ABC yeah. dude lying, he's partly lying on a gurney in the hall and yeah, uh, the doctor is yeah. holding the pieces of John Lennon's skull to the back of his head as they wheel him in mm. and uh, someone was like is, John Lennon, is that John Lennon? and the ABC guy rang and there was a baseball game or something on and Howard Cosell was the Howard Cosell was the some terrible news from New York John Lennon's being killed outside his apartment building it's yeah. so weird that he goes murder 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 that's what he said murder yeah. three times and uh, it was announced that while the baseball footage was still going on, Ted Koppel, I think, is the news reporter. Ted Koppel, yeah. He, he was the guy that was saying uh, all the details, like he was shot by a lone screwball, or a local mm. screwball, and that uh, he was shot four times, and they had all the fucking bullet holes and all the details, when they didn't really know, because, and this is probably getting too too deep into the, the, the crime scene, but, but the bullets... It's so strange. There's bullets in the wall. There's bullets found in his jacket. There's bullets in his body. Bullet holes in the wall. And some people were even saying like the crazy shit that maybe Jose Perdomo also was doing a bit of shooting. Some people even say that Yoko Ono threw a few bullets out somehow, somewhere, which I think is kind of bullshit. But um, Jose Perdomo is a big part of the case and a big part, I think, of Mark David Chapman's story as as an agent. Talk about him then, yeah. I don't know too much about him. It's very hard to find out, but apparently he was uh, a CIA-trained Cuban military operative during mm. the Bautista Regiment in Cuba, and uh, he was very active as a pro-US agent. And then he was, yeah. I think, co-opted into the American intelligence industry, yeah. or the industrial complex, as they call it. And the CIA mm. kind of took him in and put him to work. He was a, a native Cuban and there was lots of stuff happening in Florida and stuff at the time. There was lots of, you know, like the Bay of Pigs stuff. Yeah. He probably was part of a lot of that, but it's very difficult to find out his history, obviously, if he's going to be like a, an agent. And then the next thing, he's a security guard in a New York apartment block. Do you know? Yeah. I don't know exactly how he got that job. As you said, it's difficult to know. Like, but, how, uh, do you, how do you go from like a Cuban revolutionary to a doorman in New York? Yeah, they were like the Cuban exiles, weren't they? So, there's the Bay of Pigs. It was all about taking control of Cuba, like against the Castro, Castro communists. Yeah, so basically, yeah. yeah. And he was part of this thing called Operation Forty, which I read a little bit about. As you say, it's out there on the internet, but uh, but, but not you know, much. It's <laughs> it's enough to cause a doubt, Anthony. It's enough to go like, what? Yeah. No way. And then mm. you go like, is that true? And it is true. And then you go, but and then there's nothing else. And that's the, the horrible mm. part of conspiracy theory is that there's so much left to fill in. There's so much extra space that you definitely don't mm. know the answer. So you can't, same with 9-11 or the assassination of anybody like Martin Luther King or Malcolm X yeah. or Bobby Kennedy. Like it's a very similar story to Bobby Kennedy, this Mark David Chapman's actions and the actions of Sirhan Sirhan. I don't know if any yeah. of your fans know about Bobby Kennedy getting shot, but he was shot in a hotel in yeah. California. And, and this guy claims that he doesn't remember doing the shooting yeah, that yeah. He, he woke up tied up in a knot by a bunch of security guards and uh, he said the woman in the polka dot dress whispered something to mm. him and he went into like a, a weird red mist and he ended up shooting Bobby Kennedy dead 
And to this day, he says, no, I, I don't have any recollection of it. And Mark David Chapman says the same. He's like, I don't remember doing anything. I mm. don't remember shooting him. I don't remember any of that stuff. So many crazy coincidences. Like Jose Perdomo was there for months, if not weeks, but we don't know when his employment started at the Dakota building as a security guard. So was he only there that night? CAA can very easily fucking replicate paperwork. Is it a, f- a fake employment? Was he there that night to put his hand on Mark David Chapman's shoulder and go like, the password is double fantasy or whatever. And then like Mark David Chapman to calm down and sit down on the sidewalk and read Catcher in the Rye instead of going off. Because the subway was right across the road. He could have jumped in the subway, been away on his yeah. toes. Nobody would have fucking known him. And he would have been able to go and, and shoot David Bowie and shoot all the people that he had planned. Instead, he just sat down. Very similar with Sirhan Sirhan. Like when he woke up out of his trance, he just sat there and they arrested him. And he's like, did I do that shit? Oh my God. Like Mark David Chapman's like, what's going on? Is John Lennon dead? That's bananas. So I just think that Jose Perdomo, with his military background, links with the CIA, the fact that he was there in employment at the time and then nothing else was written about him. Very suspicious situation. Yeah, yeah. Did you say the polka dot dress was Sihan Sihan? Sirhan Sirhan, yeah. Yeah, because here's something that the audience can look at themselves. Like, people in England will obviously know Darren Brown. Mm. And, uh, I've mentioned I'll put a, a few times, yeah. Very interesting, because he did, I think it was called Assassin. Yes, with uh, Stephen Fry. With Stephen Fry, yeah. He's obviously very well known in England. National treasure. Was that like a red dress or a blue dress? I can't remember. It was polka dot dress he had because Darren Brown was trying to um, emulate that Sirhan Sirhan scenario. He had your man training for weeks and he had him down in a, a shooting range and all that stuff. And he'd hypnotize him and then put him into the shooting range and then had him up in the balcony and tipped him on the shoulder. Yeah. The woman in the polka dot dress put the briefcase down beside him and then leaned in and said the password. And then he kind of went and he opened up the briefcase, took out the gun, put the thing on it, stood up. Shouted Stephen Fry's yeah. name and then filled him full of fake bullets and then sat down and packed it up as Stephen Fry's brown bread on the stage. And then they mm. clean Stephen Fry up. Your man is put to sleep. They continue on with the show. Mm. And weeks later, they show him the footage of what he did and he had no recollection of doing it. So, like, it's entirely doable. Had he gone to a shooting range, did you say? Yeah, they, Darren Brown brought him down, taught him how to shoot, uh. taught him all this kind of stuff. Like, brought him through all the sections of what it would take to indoctrinate somebody into. And I think the hypnosis part of that was trying to make the guy who was doing the shooting think that Stephen Fry was somehow the enemy or he was saving the world by getting rid of mm. Stephen Fry. So, like, it goes along with the story that Chapman has told since, which is, like, John Lennon had to go, like, and also the fascination with being John Lennon and marrying a Japanese woman and looking like him and having all the stuff in the house. And also, yeah. there's a lot of disassociative identity stuff. There's also, like, a lot of, I'm not Mark David Chapman, I am actually might be John Lennon, and he's a fake John Lennon, I have to get rid of him. That's also associated with like MKUltra and mind control where they'll use uh, abuse, like sexual torture and stuff like that to split your psyche to be able to implant subhypnotic yeah. commands. Because Mark Chapman actually went to a shooting range. What was weird is like he, he actually went to New York three times. He got his gun, he went to New York where he was going to buy the bullets and presumably try and kill him then. Couldn't get the bullets, so he went all the way back to Georgia his friend, who was called Dana Reeves, was a sheriff's deputy. Mm. He gave him the bullets. Mark Chapman said, oh, it's for protection. And they went to a shooting range. That's interesting. And then he went back to New York. Oh, yeah. John Lennon wasn't around. He had a guy give him bullets went, as a, a friend of his or something, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like an old friend, and he was a sheriff's deputy. That's pretty uh, interesting. He asked hmm. for the, the only lethal weapon they call him. 
the cap killers, the special bullets that explode on contact. Hollow points. Hollow points, so, I mean, he, he, Yeah, that was one of the bits of evidence when he pleaded guilty. He said, it was me. I specifically chose hollow points. It's awful. I mean, they especially thousands of particles of metal just explode instantly. As soon as it hits like something hard like a bone or... Yeah, so, so, horrible. Yeah, and as you said, he hit man. all the vessels. So he got it. He got it off a sheriff's deputy. I forgot that bit. Surely, yeah. right? <laughs> the sheriff's deputy giving him that shit has some kind of culpability in the crime, no? Well, I mean, in the book, they just say, you know, this is is a southern sheriff's deputy. Perhaps you know people have ideas. I mean, New York is a violent city, and perhaps people had ideas, so it wouldn't be that difficult to persuade him. Oh, you know, I'm going up to New York. You know, I need protection. Yeah. Give me some bullets. There's a really good documentary that came out. It's called The Man Who Shot John Lennon. It's on YouTube. It's very kind of even-handed because it shows that there were people... Yeah, he was a weird guy. You're absolutely right. And he probably wasn't right in the head to begin with. But there were a lot of people who liked him. And he was amazingly good with the kids, the refugees. It brings that whole kind of Second Amendment... There's arguments around the Second Amendment in the US at the moment, like where you should allow people with like mental deficiencies or ex-cons mm-hmm. or people who have shown to have, you know, psychological issues and difficulties that they're not allowed to have weapons. So it's like if you've ever been diagnosed with depression and had to go on medication, you're not allowed to buy a gun. They're the kind of laws yeah, that they want to bring right. in. And you're like, that's really discriminatory. Like that means that anyone that ever, you know, feels sad or has like depression, they can never have a gun to protect their family or protect their home because they might yeah. want to kill themselves or other one, other people. Like, there's a massive debate around about that at the moment, and I don't think the the Mark David Chapman issue comes into it, because he was most definitely on medication for his psychological yeah. issues, and yet he was allowed to buy a gun in 1980, and then give it the bullets by a deputy. Like, that is... Yeah, sheriff's deputy. So do you have Just loads of other to... stuff on Mark David Chapman, then? Because the top of my head stuff, or anything that I could find at the time... Mm. It's kind of all run of the mill. I don't want to talk myself down at the end. Like, but like it's it's all stuff that if you're able to go and research even a small bit, yeah, that you could put these things together and go like, well, if this is this, then that's extra suspicious. Like the Perdomo stuff yeah. is very suspicious. The movements like Beirut and then Hawaii and then New York is very suspicious. Is there anything else that yeah. you could find about them that might be a bit? Uh, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I read this Fenton Bresler book. This is the one murder of John Lennon. Yeah, and um, what it was was fairly straight biography a lot of the time he does a good job of intercutting cia activities that they did infiltrate christian organizations that's one thing yeah i don't know about precisely with the ymca and then it's basically quite speculative now i'm sure you find with a lot of stuff on your show as you said you know you don't tell people this is the truth but you're putting stuff out there and you have to kind of use your intuition when there's a certain amount of stuff this fenton bresler guy there wasn't really a lot of hard evidence. There was a lot of, he went to this place and, you know, it was strange. One of the things that he went on a world trip, he was working at this hospital where he'd been a patient. Mm. He was a patient, then he was a volunteer, then they gave him a job. Like First he worked in maintenance and then I think he was in the printing department. And then he suddenly went on this world trip. So one of the things is like how he got the money. He was also very much into art as well. And he spent thousands. He bought like a Norman Rockwell painting, which is like, okay, now it's expensive. Hey, how does a how does a an artist yeah, get that kind of money? But I'll be honest with the Fenton Bresler, it was almost like he'd say something, and then he'd say, "Could he have been? You know, was this code word? You know, I'm, I think that's a quite a distinct possibility. This idea of the code word, but I guess it was quite speculative. So I didn't really find any smoking guns. You know? Yeah. 
But uh, the speculation is where mm. the conspiracy lives. Like, obviously, there was sure. things that were very suspicious about his actions and about his finances. Mm. Like, how the fuck did he yeah. afford to have a round-the-world trip on a orderly mm. salary? And what will promote him to do that? Yeah, exactly. He was a security guard at various times, which is obviously very low-paying. I didn't find too much concrete, but stuff to get your teeth into, you know. It's as speculative and as suspicious Mm. as the movements of Lee Harvey Oswald before the JFK assassination. Mm. Like, Lee Harvey Oswald was in Cuba. He lived in Russia. He renounced his American passport and became a Russian citizen Mm. and then flip-flopped and came back and was allowed back at the height of the Cold War. He traveled all over. There was loads of places in America he was before he was in Dallas. And it all seems very suspicious. Like, he was definitely, like, some kind of CIA or mm. intelligence agent definitely worked for the military in some capacity and ended up being the one that was stitched up like a kipper as a patsy for JFK. Yeah. Very similar kind of, not factless, but like baseless conjecture on his movements, yeah. right? Because you can't say yeah. like for definite this is what he did when he got there. But when you look at that shit, it's as much as a cop needs to know when somebody's committed a murder. It's like, oh yeah, we looked at your GPS and your phone records and you started off at home and then you drove all the way down to the old quarry and then you drove all yeah. the way up to here and then you were home at 2 a.m. What were you doing yeah. in the quarry at like quarter past 12? Um, I was just yeah. like throwing rocks or something. It's like, right, well, we found the body in the quarry. So like two and two says that you killed your wife in the house, you brought her to the quarry, you fucked the body into the quarry, and then you mm-hmm. drove around for a while, and then you came home. When you look at the evidence of these boys moving around, Mark David Chapman's moving from military installation and CIA black site to CIA black site, and then he turns up in yeah. New York and assassinates one of the most famous people in the world, but also somebody who's like super influential, super anti-establishment, mm-hmm. very politically active, someone who's protesting against war on the eve of their being awarded their citizenship as an American, so they definitely couldn't be kicked out of the country, and on the eve Mm. of a brand new presidential administration who was going to bring in the most profitable war since World War II, the Reagan-Bush administration brought in, in Iraq. Right, right. Of course they didn't want John Lennon poking around, causing trouble with a brand new war in Iraq. So they were like, let's use an asset to fucking take him out. When you say it all in one go like that, you're kind of like, oh yeah, I suppose. That's totally believable. Like, it's totally understandable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you in both ways, you know, you you put some arguments through and it can be persuasive. But uh, I'd like my audience to look into some of this stuff because it's, I don't know if interesting is the right word, because it's all, it's all around a horrible event, you know, but yeah. it's probably important. Can I ask you a couple of things? If it was a government, let's say, why wouldn't they have done it when he was more politically active? Because he hadn't really been active for eight years or something. Because they don't do it when you're at the height of it, do you know? Right. Like... When Martin Luther King Jr. was shot, he was on a downward spiral. He was being caught for, like, cheating with his wife and there was some, like, improprieties in the the finances of the movement and he was getting ready to hand the reins over to somebody else. Anyway, he had reached the peak of his acceptance and he knew that the shit was coming down. He knew that the FBI were poking around. His last speech was like, I may not get there with you the night before he died. Like, they don't shoot these guys at the peak. Like, they're not shooting Martin Luther King Jr. after the I Have a Dream speech. They're shooting him after mm. the, I might not get there with your speech. Mm. They're not shooting John Lennon when he's in the bed with every camera in the world pointing mm. at him while he's going, give peace a chance. Mm. Like, the public were in there, all singing and clapping and doing all All they needed was one cunt that looks like a hippie that had a gun. Very easily done. Bang, bang. Yeah. John Yoko, you're done. You're dushed. And then put the gun on yourself and... 
blow your own brains out and it's like, oh, crazy dude, mm. does some stuff, John Lennon's dead, boom. But like the reasonable doubt about stopping his activity towards anti-war mm. would definitely be there. The suspicion would be way, way higher. Actually, there was one bit of interesting information, and this is in, um, there's a good book called Come Together, John Lennon and Our Time, which is a, about his political activities. Yeah. Again, very sort of official version. There's nothing really contentious in there, except that they were actually due to go on a Teamsters, you know, the Teamsters, the union. Yes. They were going to go on a Teamsters rally. It was a Japanese-American workers who were striking, and one of them, was, I think, was Yoko's cousin. And they were going to bring Sean with them. So I don't think it was going to be quite as sort of hardcore and militant as it had been you know, if they're bringing their kid with them. But that was interesting that they were actually due to go out that week, I think, later that week. So yeah, it's another interesting detail. There's definitely oh. some suspicion about the timing of it, I think, around right. his citizenship. I think that's why they waited until that long. They thought, because they fucking tried to get him on some drugs charges, they tried to get him on some, yeah. some visa shit the whole time. And he was about to become an American citizen. I think that's the most important timing for it. Uh, okay, yeah, it's complicated because he he was like, nat- from 76, it was basically he'd won the fight to stay there. Yes. Maybe he hadn't got the official paperwork. No. And, oh, because you said it was going to be the 1st of January, 81? 1st, 1st of January, yeah. That was, when, that was when he'd be awarded it. That's when you go in on the 2nd of January oh, and you hold up your hands and you're like, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands. And you get your whole thing, you get your papers and all. Like you had to wait a certain amount of time and he would be officially 100% American citizen on the 1st of January and he was bopped off on the 8th of December. Like, Uh, So after that point, you couldn't get him out at all. He he was kind of safe. After 76, he was safe, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So try to get him on a drugs charge, try try to catch him coming off a plane with some some drugs or something like that. well, I was, he was busted in his house, but the guy who busted him was later found to have been planting evidence Yeah, during this whole fight to stay in America. So it was clear, I mean, it was clear that they had uh, an ulterior motive to keep him out. And if, if they could have got but, him on the drugs charge and, and kicked him out of the country, he wouldn't have been able to do much damage in England. He would probably be, you know, a very old man right now. I watched that movie yesterday. Did you watch that? No, I haven't seen it. No, oh, no. a few of my guests have talked about it. It's yeah. fucking wonderful film. Okay. It's like a little jaunt. Some dude mm. wakes up one day and the Beatles never existed, but he remembers all their songs oh. and gets super famous. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, it's it's magic. Yeah. And then he goes out to some like lighthouse or some like seaside house. Uh, I've seen that Robert Carlyle, wasn't it? And, yeah. yeah, and he sits and his channel and he's like, "Hi, mate, how are you?" And, and like I was watching that on my own, and I was like. Oh my God, I'm really thinking about never nearly cry, man. The, the feelings, I was like, that's all John would have been. It's just like some old dude pattering around. He wouldn't be like Paul McCartney in Red Square with loads of fucking wrinkles looking like a melted candle, you know, walking up and down, putting his finger up in the air. Going, with a big red t shirt. Yeah, come Bright on. red t shirt. If it is even Paul McCartney, Willie Campbell, we know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, it's stuff like that when you think, like, you know, if he had got caught in the drugs charge, he just got sent home, like, why even was he in New York? Do you know? Did Yoko Ono make a move to New York? So that's the art scene. And he was kind of supporting her career mm. and she was with all the heads, you know, going around New York. What he said was just that, on. you know, he, he felt like it was the centre of the world. He found us similarities to Liverpool as well. So I think those are the reasons. But he said, you know, in Roman times, Rome was where it was at. Now New York's where it's at. So yeah. that's the reason. It's a good reason, is any? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I do think that, a really the timing of it cool. for his... Yeah. naturalization as an American citizen is very important. It was like, okay, fuck, pull the plug, man. Mm-hmm. He, he, this guy can't be an American. 
Mm. Can I ask you again, just speculating? So with MK Ultra, how would they pick up Chapman? Do you think it would be through the YMCA? I'm not asking for the answer. I'm just yeah. asking. I don't know, Alex. Where was he? What was he doing as a young lad? Like he was a fucking garbage man. Um, he was already vulnerable. He was already susceptible. Probably had some shit yeah. going on if he's like in school taking handfuls of all sorts of drugs. Something happened to him. Mm. Be it like a sexual yeah. assault, be it like some kind of psychological trauma. Like something happened to that motherfucker. And, mm. you know, if you're already in a, a vulnerable psychological state, your f- head is full of drugs. Yeah. Of course they're going to go look at we pick him. Strangely, though, hang on now. There's something triggering in my in my mind box. Did he have some kind of a link with John Hinckley Jr.? It was John Hinckley, the deputy that gave him the bullets. Now, what it was on your show, you said he joined World Vision, which sets up yes, refugee that's camps. It, that's it. And the CEO was John Hinckley Senior. I should have checked that. I'm I sorry. think I think World Vision is probably where they got him. Yeah. I think that may be yeah. like some kind of a a front for people who are, you know, kind of hurt, who want to kind of volunteer, but mm-hmm. are also kind of wanting to get away from the rat race. There's something going on and they just pick someone who's susceptible, who's, do you know the way Darren Brown does that? You know, the hypnotists do these like susceptibility tests and stuff where you close your mm-hmm. eyes and you put your two arms out and one arm has a balloon that floats up and one has a weight that floats down. And you're like, yeah, yeah, the yeah. balloon floats high. The weight drags your arm down low, low, low. And then you open your eyes yeah. and your two arms are really far apart. That means you're like very susceptible to hypnosis. I'm sure they're doing those kind of personality tests and shit like, uh, you know, Dianetics and the Scientologists do these tests to find out if you're mm. kind of broken inside so they can just get in your brain like a worm. World Vision and Hinckley, because John Hinckley Jr. absolutely 100% is a fucking mind control victim. Like 100% that dude, he shot Ronald Reagan and, and he was mad yeah. at Jodie Foster. And he... He was also reading Catcher in the Rye as well. Yeah, so I think it's like yeah. they use it as a, a kind of a codex. Like Catcher in the Rye is used as a codex and it has like trigger phrases and stuff in it. And Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. I definitely think World Vision should be looked into by either you or me. I think I might do something yeah. in the future. And I do yeah. have for every episode I've ever done, I'll tell you now, you come up with shit like that and little bits of conversation come out and you're like, oh my God, yeah, I should look into that. I have at last count about 6,000 other pieces of information that I have to either make a video about, write an article about, or look into further and like put into like a mini episode. Like you could do a whole 45 minutes on John Hinckley Sr. and World Vision. And that could be like a little mini episode. I 6,000 of them. From the John Lennon episode, I think I have a hundred extra pieces of info that could be deeper dived into. That's no fucking joke. Every episode I have, like the propaganda one, I think has like 350 so when I'm editing, I'm listening back to the like the six or seven hours and it takes about 20 hours, maybe 25 hours to edit that much audio. Mm. And I'm listening back. And when the thing comes in, I pause it and I write down what I'm supposed to look up or the thing I'm to look into further. I'd say even from our mm. conversation today, we could go deep dive and then make, come up with five more hours of content from the shit of course. that came out. You know? Yeah. Do you record your shows together? You said you don't normally do it like this. You're in the room with the, your yeah. friends normally. The big ones, the, the oh, main okay. episodes I do with three and it's in the room and we're all facing each other. I do interviews with people using like Squadcast or using the internet. I'd also yeah. do like true crimes where we're in the room, but I can also do them over the internet as well. And then we do live chats with the fans. I use Get Vocal as the app and we all jump in on a, a oh. camera each and we um, kind of have a chat room and yeah. Patreons and stuff get to join that. But um, 
he could have all the facts, man. I, I know you have pages and pages of shit there. You could have all the facts and then trying to make it into a conversation. You end up coming up with other stuff because you're like, well, what yeah. about this? What about that? What about this? It's fucking bananas, the amount of stuff that is around Mark David Chapman and around this assassination. Like, even looking at yeah. the ballistics of the bullets in the walls, like the connections to all the people. World Vision is something I forgot about. <laughs> That's such yeah. a shady sounding, shady sounding organization. And the fact that, like, both Mark David Chapman and John Hinckley Jr., who are both, like, political assassins, came out of that kind of sphere, that organizational sphere. That is creepy as shit. Like, yeah. how, you know, how many other people went into World Vision? I wonder, is there, like, a Venn diagram of, like, lads who tried to kill people who were mixed up in, like, you know, World Vision? Yeah. Maybe Christian organizations as well. I'm thinking, actually, YMCA, because that's an international organization and when he went on this world trip that he sort of mysteriously financed he went to i think 11 countries and i think he stayed at ymca most of the time because he had like a recommendation letter from the director <laughs> yeah do you think that the ymca song is like like a trigger for dudes who've been like <laughs> for dudes who've I been like innocuous indoctrinated in these YMCA's where it's like young man there's no need to feel down I said young man put your feet on the ground it's like the instructions where there's like oh I'm feeling really depressed it's like no don't be depressed stand up there's no need to be unhappy and the lyrics are like telling the murderer what to do you know well there's probably like a there's probably alternative lyrics like young man read the catcher in rhino but didn't get released you see yeah. shoot the guy in the eye says young man there's definitely uh, that's like a false equivalency if you're trying to go like he's dead in YMCA's all over the world mm. I get that that's a connection mm. it doesn't trigger something with me that you could be in YMCA's and there's like people standing over you at night time going like don't forget you to kill John Lennon I don't yeah. think it happens like that I yeah, definitely think yeah. it's something like World Vision where you have to have like meetings and P2P and, you know, all these like personal improvement stuff and meetings with your supervisors. And okay, guys, today's KPIs, we've got to hit these kind of things. And I can see it being organized there, definitely, you know. I contacted you like, it must be a couple of months ago now. And uh, when I was going through all this the last two weeks, I was a little bit worried because I was thinking, I don't have any smoking guns, but I wanted to talk to you anyway because I knew that some stuff would come out and I think we've come out with some thought-provoking stuff, you know? We've just poked around uh, in the wound, I don't, Anthony, if I'm honest. We haven't really answered any questions. Again? We just poked around in the wound. There's <laughs> yeah, no... Yeah. Like, we're not bringing any answers. I don't think anybody has them. There were a couple of things, actually, from this Fenton Bresler book. What, what's the name, what's the name uh -huh. of that Fenton Bresler book? Because I'm going to go and read uh, it. I think the latest editions are called Who Killed John Lennon? Okay. But it might be under the murder of John Lennon if it's a if it's an older edition. Should we get so, ISBN um, links and put them into the uh, yeah put them into absolutely. the description? Yeah, I think this is going to be the world record for links uh, after this talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's just a couple of quotes, really. You know, Frank Church, the Church Committee, a U.S. Senate Select Committee to investigate abuses by the CIA, FBI, IRS, and NSA, and this is like 1975. So you know. There have been investigations. I really should look into that. But That's, that's Nixon's administration. That's pre-Carter, right? It's pre yeah, it's Carter, Ford. So. Ford was in 74 to 76. All right, so Gerald but Ford. he was a kind of a caretaker, wasn't he? Yeah, after Nixon yeah. went. But that was like the cleanup. That was Sorry. like the Nixon cleanup. So can you start that yeah. again? And what, what were the organizations involved in that? Sure, yeah. It's called uh, the Church Committee. Okay. 
And in 1975, it was a U.S. Senate Select Committee to investigate abuses by the CIA, FBI, IRS, the tax, and NSA. There was a huge page about all the revelations. One of them was the plot to kill Castro. You know, all that stuff about uh, cigar, putting LSD cigar, in his cigar. And, yeah, yeah. But uh, Frank Church, who headed it, his quote was, the CIA is a rogue elephant, rogue elephant out of control. And then, have you heard of Ramparts, this magazine? No. I've heard of the magazine, but I haven't heard about John Lennon in it, no. Well, and they did a... But he did an interview with Red Mole, and Ramparts accused him of being a communist, said the working-class hero turns red. Yeah. But in 1967, they'd exposed the CIA's secret funding of the National Student Association. Yeah. I didn't find anything concrete with YMCA, I've got to be honest. So, yeah, the student organisations in the colleges, mm-hmm. that's like part of, you know, this cultural Marxist narrative where you want they want to take over the US with the long march through the education system, a young long march through the universities. Definitely the CIA are a rogue entity. The FBI mm-hmm. are reputedly like corrupt to the core. Look at what's mm-hmm. happening with Trump at the moment. And I know you probably you know, people have got two hours into this podcast and they're like, Ah, oh, you fucking said Trump, right? That's it, I'm out. Click. Go for it and do and throw your impression in there because it's a great uh, one. No. <laughs> No, not like, I'm not going to ask you to do it to order because that's I, annoying. But. I hate hearing about Trump, so I'm going to click off. But like, yeah. you know, the Russia investigation, you know, the impeachment process, the way the Democrats are trying to railroad Bernie Sanders now, mm. calling his campaign, you know, uh, he's a Russian asset now. Tulsi Gabbard is a Russian asset. Hillary Clinton says you can see the FBI and the CIA. What happened with Peter Strzok and the Steele dossier and James Comey getting fired and all the stuff that happened between 2016. And now, at no other time, apart from this time in in the late 70s, was the intelligence community so at risk of being toppled. Because after Mm. this, because they didn't come down in the late 70s, they went on to do the most corrupt actions of possibly any government outside of like the Stasi actions in Nazi Germany or the, the communist gulags and the, the, the purges and all in Stalin's Russia, like the CIA going to every country in the world that had any natural resources and pumping mm. their governments and pumping the political oppositions with weapons and with motive to f- attack each other all for drugs and drug money and all that Barry Seal mm. shit and the fucking Gary Webb and bringing cocaine in and destroying the black community and, yeah. and all that stuff is fucking 100% documented man like journalists like, yeah. died, yeah. were killed for that. Like the CIA are like a deep state military organization all to themselves mm-hmm. that didn't want anybody fucking with their shit. Like they've killed so many people and they just get away with it because they're fucking CIA. And who the fuck is going to yeah. go up against the CIA, man? They're yeah. into everything. They know everything. They're into all your computers. All they need is one video of you having a wank about something dodgy and your fucking life is over. The CIA can do whatever the fuck they want until mm. something like the Mueller report at the Russia probe Steel dossier, Peter Strzok and all this like there's like 40 dudes top in the FBI were all fired in the last like two years because mm. they were all fucking shady as shit like and it's still mm-hmm. going on there's still lads getting fired and nobody's talking about it the lads are talking about QAnon I don't know if you've heard about what QAnon is no I know like Q is like a deep state whistleblower that posts on all of these like boards like 8chan or 4chan and all and is telling secret shit like what's going on in the background and then in two weeks later the thing that they predicted happens, but they speak in kind of riddles and rhymes. And it's totally like, yep, yeah, that's a fucking, that's someone who's deep in the deep state. They're deep in like behind 
government machinations. They know what's going on. Whereas we get to watch C-SPAN and all we see is fucking Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez shout and going mm. like, everybody should have a living wage. But behind the scenes, there's motherfuckers getting like choked to death while they're having a shit. Do you know, the guy, uh, the apartment of Homeland Security whistleblower fucking shot himself twice in the back of the head like two oh, days yeah, ago. Yeah. I think it's 48 people now that are very, very close with the Clintons have all mysteriously committed suicide by fucking oh, yeah, yeah. blowing their heads off from behind. Weird shit going on, man. So to think that they won't be able to just come in and get John Lennon and pop him off so that they don't fuck up any of the Iraq, Libya skirmishes, this shit that's going on with like Pablo Escobar and Colombia and Bolivia and the cocaine movements and can you imagine if, like, John Lennon survived into the 80s? Like, how much real, tangible trouble he would be mm-hmm. for the deep state and media, like? Yeah. I was going to ask you, actually, um, should we kind of conclude with the Mark David Chapman? I guess, I think you reached the same conclusion when you did your show. There's plenty of whys, and I agree with you, it wouldn't be difficult for them to do it. No. Absolutely. But would you, should we just kind of conclude there's not too much hard evidence, but there's lots of dots. Very, very little and, hard evidence. But I think the fact that he goes yeah, out for yeah. parole every two years and gets denied, when he gets out, is he going to blow the whistle? Is he going to be like, this is actually what happened? Like, why is he not uh, again, being allowed out? Could he be the fucking key to just blowing it all out? Like, why wouldn't he not just go, you know what? I'm in jail forever. These motherfuckers put me up to it. This is the crack. Yeah, so you're saying they're dangling the prospect of freedom, yes, basically. I think. Because he's every, having parole hearings. And he's tickling, yeah, yeah. tickling his balls every two years. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's say the official reason, I guess, is that they probably think a John Lennon fan's going to kill him. Yeah. And I don't know, they don't want a John Lennon fan to get a life sentence, I suppose. Because, you know, people who shoot famous people always end up serving a lot more time than people who do comparable crimes, don't they? Yeah, unless you're like... Like a whole different rules. Unless you're the two kids that kill Jamie Bulger. In that case, the British government will give you a new identity and ship you every time you fucking get caught looking at child porn, they'll fucking ship you off to another town. Depends, man. Whoever's in the interest of keeping that shit a secret will keep Mm. that shit a secret. I think they're dangling freedom in front of Mark David Chapman's face every two years and going, maybe this time, Mark, because if they told him, no, you're never, ever, ever getting out, he'd just be like, okay, the CIA did this shit. Like, all he has to do is call a journalist and they'll come in and throw a recorder in front of him at the table and it's like the biggest story of ever. Yeah. No, absolutely. Now, you were talking about, like, recent stuff. Can we kind of finish this? I want you to say John Lennon had survived or he hadn't been killed. What would John Lennon be like on the internet? (laughs) I think we kind of said, kind of jokingly, I think he'd spend a lot of time making rash comments on Twitter and then probably having to apologize for them afterwards. Definitely. (laughs) I think he'd be as kind of active as a, what would he be now, like 78? 77? Yeah, nearly 80. Would it be 80 this year? 80 this year. Fucking hell. Yeah. So, Noam Chomsky is like the same age. I'd say he'd be very similar to a Noam Chomsky who, like, he'd do, like, rare enough interviews, but when he was interviewed that he'd be dropping fucking knowledge, you know? Yeah. He'd be saying some shit. Kind of like a wise old man. I think so. I think he'd be very well read. I think the internet would crown him. I think, like, having all that information... At your fingertips, I'd say he'd be a fucking Kindle fiend. I'd say he'd be horsing it into him. <laughs> and, you know, I don't think he'd be like a YouTuber or anything like that, but he was going in the direction of writer, activist. Mm. He was advocating for people getting out of jail. Like he, he did that whole concert for your man who got caught with weed that time. And 
Uh, John Sinclair, yeah. John Sinclair, yeah. yeah. And he'd be definitely um, in that kind of movement of justice, social justice, mm. definitely, I think. I don't know about his leanings towards this new socialist revolution that's happening, seems to be happening at the moment where everyone's like, free stuff, yeah. He'd definitely be going on podcasts, if not have his own podcast. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine the John Lennon podcast? Can you imagine? I'd I think tune into that. It's something yeah. that could be done with a very good impressionist. <laughs> you know, if you had somebody that was able to do a John Lennon impression, Ed Salmon, I'm looking at you. But um, your your John Lennon impression is not too bad either. I don't want to coax it out of you, but you did it for me. Oh, well, do I get to coax your Trump? Or? Well, yeah. let's do John Lennon <laughs> interviewing Trump then. So Donald, uh, oh no, <laughs> yeah, and me, we're working to it. Because it's, it's not, scow- show, it's not scouts, it's a sort of, Thanks you know, I mean, show, Donald, John. what do you think about, uh, what do you think if I'd still be alive, would I be in social media or not? I think uh, you and me are, are going to be uh, having, a, having a war for followers, John. Uh, a lot of people like what you have to say. And uh, I mean, let's do a collaboration. Sometime you, you can write. Would the music, you smoke? I'll a, write the lyrics. Would you smoke a joint? I'm sorry to interrupt. Would you smoke a joint with me? That's what I want to know. You know, oh, I want to know that. Absolutely, you know? but just let's not tell Melania. Okay, we we go to Mar-a-Lago. We play in eighteen holes, and uh, we smoke a a zoot. Is that what the kids call it now? A bifter, uh, something like that. Yeah, well, come over. You yeah. bring your guitar. I'll teach you. All you need is G, E minor, C, and D, and you can play hundreds of songs, you know. Hundreds. Fantastic. <laughs> we, we, we'll do that. that that would be a show okay. I listen to, is, is Donald and John. But it's, like, it's amazing what he did with so little back then, and now you mm. look at what people are doing now, with what they have, and it's like, fucking Love Island, man, really. Instagram pictures of your tits or your dinner. I think he'd be doing seminars, I think, like, all through the 2000s and stuff, through the boom, uh, of course, that's a romanticized view of him. Do you know? He'd be speaking out against mortgage debt and about like Sorry. subpar mortgage consolidation, or like, he'd definitely be going on about global warming and shit with Al Gore in two thousand and one. And you know, he'd be the one giving the speech at Ground Zero at nine eleven, going like, "This was my home for a really long time, and uh, it's such a tragedy." Like he'd definitely be that guy. Maybe he would have went into the kind of the. Hated social justice figure the way that Bono is. Everyone's kind of like, ugh, Bono, fucking hell, shut up. Like, mm. no one wants to hear from Bono, even though he has, like, the ears of kings and presidents, you know? Do you think he'd be a truther? I, I feel like he probably would be. Oh, he was absolutely yeah. anti-government. So whatever deep no. state has come along. Like, I'd say, if the government didn't kill him in 1980, I'd say... Some Colombian lad would have done it to him in like 1984 or five right, for speaking right, out against right. the drug trade in the US. I think the internet would have suited him as well. It's like you were saying earlier, you said he was sort of introvert and extrovert. He was also had a lot of energy in one sense. It's kind of like he got excited about something, he had a lot of energy. But he definitely had this sort of lazy, homebody, stoner side. So something like the internet, yeah, I can imagine him like Trump, I don't know, under the covers, tweeting all these kind of messages to the world. Oh, you know? I, would, I wouldn't doubt like, He could even, if he had smoked enough, gone and turned into a whole Owen Benjamin type of situation where he's just like sitting at a table out in the back garden, making up songs and doing like live streams and just rabbiting yeah. about shite about the fucking moon landing and NASA being run by Nazis. That could have entirely mm. happened. Mm. Like, it's so unfair that he just fucking got blown away by a little fat cunt who thought he was cool. Like, that guy just mm. decided, like, the world is not going to have John Lennon anymore. Mm. And because of that decision, we're all devoid of that voice. Do you know? 
Mm. At least when Bill Hicks died, he died of pancreatic cancer and he took a long time and did a few shows and wrote some shit down and made some videos and had time mm. to say goodbye. Yeah. It didn't seem John Lennon really was done with his mission, I feel. Yeah. And I mean, we were talking earlier about how um, when there's an event, the public does get propagandized. But I think with John Lennon, that was a genuine reaction. And really, it started very quickly. Yoko does peddle this kind of the peacenik image because that was kind of one John Lennon. There were a lot of John Lennons and he moved around a lot. Yeah. You know, his thinking moved quite a bit. But I think the outpouring of grief, you know, I I don't really want to compare him to Princess Diana because I think he contributed a bit more than she did. But anyway, I mean, that outpouring of grief. He was was, as loved, though, and by a lot more people. Like, you watch those Mm. documentaries, like, you know, the US versus John Lennon, and it paints him out to be some kind of like seditious anti-government rebel very good documentary to watch us versus john lennon yeah. it just shows like how dangerous he actually was you know i remember when we were chatting during the week i don't know if it's in that documentary or if it was in a book that i read but there was talk of like richard nixon actually crying in the oval office <laughs> because there was people outside of his like the washington monument protest with some protest and they were yeah. all singing like all we are saying is give peace a chance over and over and over and over and over and over for hours and hours and Richard Nixon's like mm. I can't sleep these fucking hippies are annoying me tell them to go away what can I do to make them go away and he's actually crying holding himself in the Oval Office and John Lennon is roaring laughing like because they're all singing his song you know to annoy Nixon it's amazing the influence that he had and mm. no more than like we said like Bill Hicks or Carolyn or, or any of these kind of outspoken people like you know, the Mandela's or the people who were taken like before their job was over, before they were finished. Yeah. What would George Carlin say about the world today? What would Bill Hicks say about the world today? I don't know, but it would definitely be better if not the same as anybody alive today. (laughs) Like, you know, who's replacing these people? Yeah, the thing you were talking about, she was a half a million people singing Give Peace a Chance outside the Washington Monument. Yeah. Yeah. It was a moratorium day, yeah. That's the kind of influence that they had at the time. So can you imagine, like, mm. the amount of things that people can do with the internet, the amount of things that people can do with, like, modern media, uh, you know, flash mobs and organisation and instant messaging and all that stuff wasn't done through letters and flyers and posters and billboards. It's, like, immediate communication, one-to-one yeah. or one-to-millions. And then, of course, in reality, you look at Paul McCartney and uh, how many people still have him in the forefront of their mind. Like I saw mm. online... Paul McCartney and Kanye collaborated and loads of people are writing underneath it like, oh, isn't it really nice of Kanye to let this old man come and sing on the song? And you're like, <laughs> do you not know who the fuck that is? It's like, nope. <laughs> do you know? That's where we are. I think you and I, mm. not saying we're fucking brilliant ratting, but like we're in a different informational sphere to a, yeah. a kind of a lot of people on the internet because we're looking at this stuff. This is stuff we enjoy. Exactly. Most people don't give a fuck about it and they just like watching mm. what they watch. So we think like, oh, everybody should know about this. Most people don't give a fuck. You know, it's ego as well, like that we think like, yeah, all the stuff that we look at is way more important than their stupid TV programs. We're learning stuff. But it's like, no, man, some people just don't care because they're like, I'm happy enough with my life. I don't want extra made up worries. So maybe if John Lennon was alive today, he'd just be as uninfluential and easily forgettable as Paul McCartney or George Harrison Mm. was up until a few years ago. Yeah. I think, like I say, I think he'd just be tweeting out stuff when he felt like it. And I think he would have been involved with activism for a few years, but, you know, I don't know whether he would have continued with music. This is something I've been wrestling with because I, I don't so. actually think the music he was coming out with just before he died, Double Fantasy, I don't actually think that was some of his best. Uh, there's a certain time when people know, like, yeah, the magic is gone. Let's 
move on. I could say, you know, he'd definitely be producing other people's music, finding other talented groups and, mm. and coming together. The fucking torture of all irony that I could say, what would John Lennon be if he was alive through the early 2000s? Anthony, I have to say, probably a judge on America's Got Talent or Britain's Got yeah. Talent. Oh, don't say it. Do you know what I mean? It'd be <laughs> Simon Cowell, yeah. you know, Louis Walsh and John Lennon. You've got, a, oh, you've got a great voice, but I don't see you going through to the next round. That's reality. That's what it probably would be. You know? Can we not end with that, though? <laughs> I'm going to come out of this and uh, burst into tears, otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> I think look upon yeah. McCartney's career. That's probably around how it would end up. I think he would have just gone in loads of different directions. I, th- I think he was never particularly consistent. Yeah. Uh, it's become one of my standard questions, actually, to my guests. Like, what do you think he would have done and everything? And, and one of the ones we agree on, he would have been well into grunge. He might have met Cobain and done something. And I think he would have pulled off the trick of being a cool old guy, kind of like Neil Young or something like that. Yeah. You know? I think so. So It's sad to think, like, there's some old, like, 60-year-old dude pottering around with these new rock stars doing all this new shit. But that would probably be what the case is. You know, look at Ozzy Osbourne. They do like a reality TV show and they come in and completely undermine all elements of coolness that he had from being like the Prince of Darkness. And then all of a sudden your kids are more famous than you are then. No more than Elvis. I'm kind of glad he died before he had a chance to get swallowed up by the modern media machine. Jimi Hendrix could have gone very ordinary, you know? He might have been a flash in the pan. Well, he was three years. He was a flash in the pan, but it just... he was, A very bright flash. Elvis died in 77. I think if he had it kept going, it would have been a very shitty 80s for that guy. Do you know? Yeah, it was for most of them, wasn't it? I think they all would have come back in the 90s. I think John Lennon would have had that trajectory. But like the Ozzy Osbourne thing, I think would have happened. It would have been like, you know, life at the Lennons. And it would have been like Yoko, <laughs> who's scrambling for some kind of recognition or some kind of relevancy. Does she have any relevance of her own? I've no respect for Yoko, and I have to say. I could be persuaded to have a different opinion. Absolutely. I just don't have any time for it. and it's not because she broke up the Beatles it's just not I've no time for you know into no. okay but um w- would modern media have swallowed up the legacy of John Lennon I absolutely think so because he was probably one of the most outspoken ones whereas like George had his few tunes and he slipped back in and he had his little palatial castle type home mm, it's big back garden yeah big mm. walls big back garden that was still able to be scaled by some fellas um, amazing yeah. and then McCartney is still out like pointing his finger doing all this uh, Ringo has yeah. his Thomas the Tank Engine money and I'd say John would have got on board with all of that shit in the 90s like the boy band stuff and the X Brit Factor Pop. and Brit Pop and all yeah. of that like definitely you know I'm kind of glad he's gone at the time he left because it's all been a mystery and it's all for fans of him you can go like yeah maybe this and maybe this cool thing and maybe this other cool thing instead of the numbing inevitability of the Osborns, you know, very, <laughs> yeah. very easily could have been the Lennons. Yeah, and then and then they're preserved forever, you know, on videos and DVDs. And That's it, man. Cool the, the music is still sounding as amazing as ever. I mean, I was yeah. watching US versus John Lennon, and that stuff, you know, instant karma, cold turkey, it's still edgy as fuck. Yeah, it's heroin withdrawal. It's so I want to leave on a happy note and say that his music will last forever, and yeah. Beatles music. There's no reason Absolutely. why it should go out of fashion. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. All right, mate. Thank you very much. No problem. It's been great. If your people want to find yeah. me, I'm uh, doseconspiracyguys.com and uh, I'm on all the social media. So hit up the podcast if you have some six or seven hour time drunks <laughs> yeah. free to listen to it. And uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, where yeah. can my people find you? 
Yeah, it's Glass Onion on John Lennon. The Twitter is at Onion Lennon, capital O, capital L. And I'm on all the usual iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, etc. Cool. All right, mate. All the best. Same to you. Thanks. Keep going with the show. Bye. Bye-bye.